All right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Pragmatic Tokens. It's your boy Frost with my co-host Carnville. What's going on? <laughs> and we've got some interesting news recently about a lot of games and some studios. Uh, the first thing I want to touch on is Need for Speed Unbound. It's been a minute since I think the last one has been like at least advertised. I know that a lot of people have been in uh, somewhat interested. And the Need for Speed franchise, especially with its focus on like the street style, especially with the roots coming from Most Wanted and a lot of the other games way back in the day. It seems like they're returning to a very stylized version of that, even going more towards an animated, uh, I'm guessing, campaign or career mode. And I want to see, have you ever played Need for Speed? And if not, does this game actually want make you want to actually play it? Bro, for sure. Like, Need for Speed and Burnout are before. Like, I started playing like Forza. Those were kind of like the games that started it off for me. You know, my older cousin played a lot of Need for Speed and Burnout, and uh, those are classic franchises that you know, you know, in in the last couple of years, people haven't really cared about you know linear track racing. A lot of them want the open world Forza Horizon type racing and yeah. dirt dirt style. Um, Project Cars and the crew, but you know, for myself, I'm excited about Need for Speed coming back. Um, I think, you know, if companies, because you know, right now gaming is in a lot of uh, remakes and remasters era, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Like, I don't mind them doing, you know, remasters of old stuff. My thing is, is like, if you're gonna bring it back, either bring it forward in a positive way where you're really trying to make fundamental changes to make it look and feel new or re re kind of imagine what the series means. And they're doing mm. that with Need for Speed right now. And art style is beautiful. Like I'm already locked in just based on art style alone. Like I don't think I'm day one, but I'm definitely within launch window for sure. Okay. I feel like it's a, uh, it's been really interesting seeing a lot of the trailers and then we got some mm. gameplay recently as well. So seeing how they actually incorporated that stylized version of a lot of comic and also anime influence mm -hmm. into it with the like stencil and small drawings that are going to be actually added to like the car and some of the effects when you're driving. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. it turns out well. I don't know if I'm also day one, possibly release window, depending on how, uh, how the reviews kind of come in. Cause I'm not really that big of a racing fan. I kind of, wait until like all the hype has died down or like if it's on game pass, because then I feel like I have actual time to get into it. And I don't have to wait for like the constant updates and new cars and stuff like that. But I'm definitely excited to see what we can uh, get from either new racing games or just a franchise in a whole. Uh, sure. Yeah. Speaking of gameplay as well, we got some more stuff of wild hearts. I know we talked mm -hmm. about it last time about, uh, was it Koi Tecmo mm -hmm. kind of, their style of a Monster Hunter type of game. They showed some clips and it just further implements the Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter influenced me, especially with some of the attacks. And I think the only thing really trying to separate them <clears throat> besides the developer is the special abilities sense of it. Cause they mm -hmm. also have transforming weapons, which isn't new to the genre, but it's the way that they transform. And then also the small, I guess you could say, buildings that you can create mid-battle. They have like right. these 
little barracks type of area that you can either use to have it as a platform or some other type of situation. And I wanted to see if you would rather choose this over Monster Hunter. I know we don't have that much information on it, but it's been a while since we've seen a lot of Monster Hunter stuff besides Rise. So last, I don't remember if it was the first episode or the, the last episode that we put out, where we talked about, I think it was the last episode, Monster Hunter, I felt that it was very slow for my liking, mm. like, um, because, like, I grew up on the, you know, turn-based JRPG um, games, so I'm, I'm used to, like, slower combat in that sense, but when I do real-time combat games, like, Devil May Cry and all that stuff. Like, I want it to be, like, stylized and fast and very um, fluid. And I feel like Wild Hearts is an answer to a lot of the problems that I had with um, Monster Hunter. Like, I always felt that Monster Hunter's world didn't appeal to me. It didn't look that good for, mm -hmm. like, my eyes. I didn't want to explore it. I didn't want to, like, be in it. The art style was a little weird to me, and I felt like the gameplay was a little clunky when I played um, last year. And... Looking at Wild Hearts, like the cool things that they're adding with the weapon abilities and the building and just like the art style of the world. It's definitely something that I'm looking at. I'm like, oh, for sure. I want to play this because it, it, it reminds me of, you know, being a kid and watching those Saturday cartoons where you're just in this imaginary world. And it feels like very, you know, anime feels very Japanese and it just offers a lot more of that modern combat style that I like a lot more. That Ghost of Tsushima mixed with, you know, Horizon Forbidden West type of um yeah. combat. So like I'm really I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing so far. I think like between this Need for Speed Unbound and like, you know, I think I Wild Hearts is probably the one that I'm probably day one for. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Also in the similar realm of not really mm -hmm. my genre. I'm more of like either an indie sports game or possibly fighting games, depending on like how the fighting mechanics are. So I would probably have to wait on it unless it's like a collective buy. Like if there's a multiplayer function, which I'm most likely guessing there will be, I might yeah. be more persuaded to get a little earlier just to, you know, okay. get on that grind and start to actually do some quests with some of the guys. Um, speaking of fighting games, Street Fighter five, ah, 6. Oh my gosh, they had their, was it? Not open beta, but it's like some type of test play. And I know a lot of people got in, mm -hmm. a lot of fighting game community members were commenting on it and just uploading videos about the various characters. Uh, right. We had some interesting information about how they were trying to incorporate at least the creative fighters are just seeing how the creation was and, you know, people using that system or just that uh, creation outlet or element and just creating some monstrosities. But to get to the actual <laughs> gameplay of it, it seemed a lot quicker. I'm not really that big into Street Fighter. I played a little bit right. of Street Fighter 4 and very, very minute amount of Street Fighter 5, given that it wasn't even on the console that I had primarily uh when it released but mm -hmm. for this it seems like you really have to be in tune like almost every action has a reaction somewhat immediately and with mm -hmm. the new uh elements of the combat with some of the parries and like basically their new version of the focus attack it seems like 
if you had a quicker reaction time, like if you are able to execute something before someone else or just recognize it, you might just have the advantage. And I know they have the uh, simplified versions of combos and different special attacks, which has been adopted in a lot of fighting games recently. And I feel like that's going to be the make or break situation because I know there's subtle benefits of using the actual command inputs, like just mm-hmm. a quicker, uh, was it turnaround, like s- smaller delays in the actual uh, attack windows and stuff like that in frames. But I don't know if that necessarily would matter too much if you're using the other fundamentals of the game. Uh, I watched a couple of videos on it from either Maximilian or uh, Kizzy Kai, just trying to get a feel of like how people were actually using the new mechanics for people that actually played the prior games somewhat heavily. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's the core of the game mechanics is using new focus attack type of mechanic. And I didn't really see that many of parries. I don't know if that's because there's not that big of an advantage given that the focus attack has such a new element to the actual attacks. Like there's a lot of pushback on it, but I wanted to see how else do you think a fighting game can be like renewed? Like, do you feel like there's any newer area Mm -hmm. to go within a fighting game? I know you're not the big on them, but I know you have some experience on it. Right. So like for fighting games outside of like, you know, like over the last a couple of years, I saw like Dragon Ball fighting games. I've been like tapped out of that community entirely for like mm. a good chunk of time. And the reason why I stopped joining a lot of fighting games was like the skill gap became too high because I wasn't playing as consistent as um I would need to to even like survive in that community. So, you know, for me, in order for me to get back in, I like it's just corny to say, but I do need some entry level, you know, something for new players who are like, you know, I like fighting games, but I'm not mm-hmm. trying to get beat up with one hit in every round that I play, you know, like whether it's like a Naruto game or a Dragon Ball game or Guilty Gear, whatever fighter that you want to pick, like these games do need some casual play for guys like me who are like very casual in it. And, you know, cause like I play almost every genre and when it got, starts to get to genres that are really focused on these skilled players and, um, you know, esports and stuff like that, like it could get hard. But, you know, the first thing that I would do is they already did is creating characters. Like, I think that's like a really good thing is like allowing you to have your representation in the game. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's art style. Like, I'm really liking the art style that a lot of the game directors are going with and art directors is let's make things very, you know, smooth on the eyes, cartoonish, very, you know, um, anime. And I'm liking yeah. that renaissance right now. And so they, they got me kind of like, I would say if you get it, if, if maybe like one or two other people get it, I might, I might be tempted just based on the fact that I do have the itch right now to play some fighting games, especially after like playing Elden Ring. I've really got into like, like that combat and back and forth. So mm-hmm. I'm probably maybe I'm really close to probably hopping back in based on what, the game looks like at launch. So uh, I know with a lot of the hype behind it, the mm-hmm. characters, at least the list of them, it was somewhat leaked towards the beginning after like the trailers for some other characters dropped. But I feel like hitting on that area of representation is really good. It's going to be important because then it kind of allows for new adaptability within the fighters. I know uh, Jaime or Jamie, uh, he has this new 
function. I don't know if it's new to Street Fighter, but it's like a drinking bar. I know it's not new to fighting games, but basically, depending on like how much he drinks throughout the fight, he gets new uh, kit items. So like, you get different attacks or different attacks of different uh, frame data and shit like that, and just styly or stylistically are different. And he also looks different as well. And then Kimberly, I don't really know too much on her. I haven't seen that much from uh, at least her kit, but she has like a connection to prior characters within the game, which is really interesting, you know, trying to connect the actual lore if there's people that are still following that. And then she Mm -hmm. has that also like more street vibe, which is definitely what they're going for. Kind of reminiscent Third Strike. Uh, I feel like that's kind of their angle, at least with this game. And just seeing how they do characters that were already in the franchise, you know, Jury, Ken, Ryu, Chun-Li, and just seeing how they've kind of cultivated the style of the game to their characters. And I'm waiting Mm -hmm. to see who else they're going to put and, like, how else they could possibly make newcomers more intrigued so not everyone is going to a Shoto or using space or zoners and shit like that. Uh, and then we have some talk of Tekken 8. I know that's mm-hmm. not really the realm of Street Fighter, given it as a 3D uh, yeah. fighter, but I've had my kind of renaissance with it. I bought it a long time ago, like 2017, and I played it a little during then, and then in like the past year or so, I really started to hit my stride. Just lodged right. a lot of videos, like uh, fucking the main man and fucking well, was King J and other people like that. And it just got me more into feeling like I should learn more about the game. And, uh, you know, being the scrub person I am, I started main gen, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of telling of like how I am within fighting games. But yeah. I feel like his kid was easier for me to understand. I was watching a lot of videos about him, either from uh, Arsenal Thai, I think that's how you pronounce it, or uh, mm. who was bro fucking um, blanking on one of the person's names, but he's been going crazy in Pakistan, and just watching his videos made me really appreciate how uh, he played Jin. And with this Tekken 8 announcement and the way that they kind of interconnected both the gameplay and the trailer, it's hopefully going to be really good. It kind of reminds me of like virtual fighter with the more realistic aspect thrown into like the characters. Uh, I'm hoping that for the rest of it, I'm not sure if they are going to add more modes or keep it to the same, you know, online uh, quote unquote story and like side modes here, but maybe they could add more stuff to it. I don't want an open world or created a character. I don't think that's what it needs. Not in Tekken? But not in Tekken. There's not really a sense for it. But just Mm -hmm. maybe some other alternative modes, maybe being back, was it? uh, I forget what it's called, but it was like a somewhat arena type of version of Tekken where you just fought different uh, mobs within the stage. Uh, And then some more personality. Because if it is going the realistic, realistic approach, I feel like mm-hmm. there will be more inf- uh, more importance on making the characters seem individualized because you don't want everybody to be like, oh, these two characters look the same and then they also fight the same. That wouldn't really help uh, 
especially given that there's a lot of new eyes on it with the tech and bloodline series that came out, I think, two or three months ago. So I feel like if they can do this right, we should see a very big resurgence in fighting game uh, players, whether it's casual or professional. Uh, mm. But thinking of professional players, we saw probably one of the worst launches in probably game history, if not definitely the decade with Overwatch 2. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever played Overwatch, if you were tapped no, no. in during it, but it, not was, in at all. it was atrocious. No. The queue having over 30,000 players, depending on how long you were willing to wait and then just the right. utter crashes and stuff. It was it was really bad. I didn't get a chance to play it. I'm still at school, so the shitty Wi-Fi was not something I wanted to subject myself to. <laughs> um, but just seeing yeah. the videos on it and watching people struggle to actually play like a consistent amount of games because there is a glitch right. about achievements. I don't know if that was throughout all consoles, but on Xbox, there is this one YouTuber who was basically getting booted out every time he got an achievement, which is insane. Damn. Um, Hopefully it's better now. I saw Donkey's video. He said it was better. Still haven't played it myself, sadly. But thinking of that idea of going for innovation and trying to make their characters fit within what they want to do with the game now, it seems like that's what they're going for for Overwatch 2. There's not many variations within the characters that are returning to the series, but you can Mm -hmm. see that they're trying to angle it more towards, at least for me, a balance of the actual team. I know that was one primary focus they have, and they still have the, uh, I think it's role queue, where you have to select what actual uh, type of character you want to play, whether it's a tank, a DPS, a support. And I know that for a lot of games that are more mainstream, that aspect of being, you know, stuck within a position, whether it is a role or, like, just your character, it's kind of hard to deviate from that. And with the way that Overwatch 2 is trying to handle that, it doesn't seem like it's going to last that long, especially with the horrible launch. I'm not sure if we're really going to see that big of a scene like we did with Overwatch 1. Uh, I don't know if you have any comments on that. It was just something I wanted to throw in because of the horrendous fucking launch, but I mainly think, like, I still don't even understand what the purpose of Overwatch 2 is, especially because of how close it is to Overwatch 1. It's like, essentially, what I've gotten from Overwatch 2 is, like, it's a reskin of Overwatch 1 with some enhancements to the gameplay. But in terms of, like, being, like, since Overwatch 1 was, like, 2017-ish, 2018, for five years later, it doesn't seem like you know, a big enough jump to be like, oh, this is Overwatch 2. This feels like more like a Destiny type update where it's like a big content drop for the game. The only issue is like they're they're re they're taking away a lot of the stuff people got in Overwatch one. They're not like they're not making it two separate apps. It's like one app that you have for Overwatch 2, which is gonna go on top of Overwatch One. And my only thing is just like I'm just like, what's the purpose? Like you're, you're doing all these things and you're making it so difficult for your gamers and you're, you know, requiring SMS text messages to play the game. And it's just like, 
I'm just kind of confused about the thought process behind everything on this team. Like this really should just been like Overwatch 2.0 update, something like that, where they update the game and they add a bunch of cool features and stuff. Like I like my only thoughts are like, why is this a thing? Honestly, like honestly, the game is doing well in terms of player numbers because, you know, mobile multiplayer games, they're always going to have their PC fan base and those guys love that game. And I know that game is huge. So as long as people are happy, I think I'm just going to leave it at that, honestly. Okay. I feel like that's probably the best way to address it. Uh, honestly, yeah. I like that it's free to play. I appreciate that aspect. <laughs> Cool. True. True. Yeah, true. I was going to say that's probably the only thing I think someone that isn't really in tune <laughs> yeah. with the whole community would probably appreciate. Uh, and at this point, it's probably going to be like unless like the fact that it's so close to Overwatch One, it's like it's not even new players can't even hop in. <laughs> like honestly, like it's pretty tough to in. do that. Yeah. Yeah. So if even free to play doesn't really add that much in my eyes. Like it's just like free to play should be for games like Fortnite, where you can have so many different modes if you're you know, a rookie or whatever. Mm, yeah. Damn, man. I mean, that's all I had on my schedule. Is there anything else that you've been noticing or, like, some game that pops up recently? Man, not even just a game, boy. Like, listen, dog, I I don't want to be, like, the bearer of bad news. Like, like, I'm always bringing these controversial topics, but there's two main topics. You, We'll start with the Bayonetta voice acting one. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about that, but I didn't know if you were tapped in. Yeah, they... I'm tapped in, boy. I'm tapped they, in, Yeah, man. they did her dirty, bro. And then it's not even Four her. Like, they've been doing that forever, apparently. Right. Which is crazy because at least some of these games making 20, maybe 80, 30, whatever they're paying the voice actor. And that's it. They're just getting that flat rate right. of, in this case, 4,000 for the third game in the series. Like, hey, bro. This like as somebody like look, I'm in music, right? Audio yeah. engineer, freelance musician. I the music. I, I thought the music industry in terms of, like royalties and payments, like freelance artists working in the industry. I thought that was like finessing, but at nah, least if you work on a song, you can get like a percentage. So if a song make like ten million, at least you're like getting residual checks. Yeah. No, no matter, voice actors should get royalties on those yes. games that they make. Because if a game goes out and like for example, let's say. I was a voice actor for GTA and yeah, even if I'm just like an NPC in the world, like that game made like billions and billions of dollars. And I only got maybe like $20,000 from that project. That is kind of crazy. And especially if you're a voice actor for animated content, you are the lifeblood of that content. Without a good voice actor, this stuff does not sell. We've all, because we, we watch anime. We know what good and bad voice acting sounds like. Yes. We play video games. Um, Bayonetta's voice actor is top tier. She sure. was a top tier voice actor. Like, everybody loved Bayonetta. She's in everything. She's, even though she hasn't had a game in so long, still relevant. Yeah. And my thing is just like, did you did you also see the, the game director's post? The Kamiya guy? No, I didn't yeah, see Yeah, the guy that. who blocks, bro, the guy who blocks people on on Twitter for using English, even though he types in English. No, nah, I um, didn't see that. I'm about to pull it up right now, bro. Yeah. It's crazy, though, because it's only been, like, a recent resurgence that people started to care. Because it's happened all throughout, like, the other games that have been 
big dogs in their actual sales. But recently they've been speaking out about, yeah, I only got paid 3000 and that's it. Like if, if it's been that bad, it's kind of crazy that these games have been able to create success off of that. Cause I know a lot of games, they either go the route of like, Oh, we can oh, bring shoot. you back, but we're only going to do it gross. for, Oh, sorry to interrupt you. So, okay. So, um, Originally, like the voice actor for Bayonetta, who voiced Bayonetta in one and two, she yeah. made a video saying that she was only paid four thousand dollars, and then when she tried to renegotiate, they recasted her. Yep. And so the game director or the leader of Platinum Games, Hideki Kamiya, went on Twitter and um, if I could find exactly what he said, basically what he said was he said he called it um absolutely he said sad and deplorable about the attitude of untruth. That's all what I all that's what all I can tell you now. Mm-hmm. By the way, be aware of my rules. Essentially his rules are he's like really quick to block people on Twitter for like random things. It used to be a meme, but now the meme isn't so funny now because he's silencing yeah. people calling you out on stuff. And so apparently his account got restricted. I think I was just drop my phone, error on the set. Let me click on his stuff. That's I mean, yeah, we have to hear both sides yeah. of the story for sure. But still, just the idea of being paid the flat rate on something that's been able mm. to make a continuous sale, like it's a series. It would be different if it was like the second game. Then I'd be like, all right, sure. Maybe you relax. Right? Apparently maybe, the series made over 400 M's, bro. Yeah, maybe maybe reevaluate your position in that because obviously you are a key part, but like, Right. If it's the second game, we don't even know if you're getting like really that many sales. But it's the third game, bro. Right. And people have been wanting this game. She's in Smash Bros. Like that should be enough, enough yeah. to be like, yeah, maybe we should give her an M or maybe residual because people are right. going to continue to play this game way past the release window, and we're going to see most likely either another inclusion of her in some other game. Or possibly a continuation. I'm not sure, depending on the success of three. We'll see if that happens. But like that's just insane to think that's how they've been treated and that is like a company standard. They gotta treat it like the way musicians treat their recording sessions. Like if you are in the critically acclaimed projects, price should go up automatically. Yeah. Like, honestly, like the fact like they should at least be made because like for a lot of people who don't know what voiceover does, like voiceover sessions for even just uh, like an ad spot. Right. 30 seconds. That could be two hours of time just to record that. And you probably say the line 100 plus times. So it's not like, think like voice acting seems very easy because you're just talking. But imagine like if you were to say like, imagine it being like a McDonald's job. You are flipping the same burger a hundred times over and over and over again for hours on end. It's the same amount of leg of, of like work you have to do to get the stuff to the point where they'll take it and put it in the game. And then you don't even know if they're actually going to use what you yeah. said. So you really just like, like, for example, Starfield has 250,000 lines of dialogue, which means somebody had to 
say like all these different actors have to come in and record all those lines of dialogue over the course of multiple years, re-recordings, um, um, script changes, like, and you're only going to pay that person $4,000 for that much work. Like that is, that is not like, is cause like who knows when they're going to get their next job, right? Like she can yeah. go and, and do a job in October and then be recording with that job consistently for like a couple of weeks who knows when she's going to get her next gig she's going to get it right after that one or maybe three months down the line so this three thousand is really only like one thousand a month if she only gets a job every three months and so it's like four bands for all that is borderline disrespectful and should be regulated honestly yeah i'm surprised it's not like a guild thing i would assume that the union I'm pretty sure there is a union for voice actors have agreed upon something for this. But if this is like commonplace, because this is the third time that I'm not assuming that she's gotten 4,000, but this is the third time that she's on the project and she's only getting 4,000, whether that's true or not, I'm most likely assuming it is. It's yeah, that's not it. I don't know how they've been functioning beforehand, if that was like the role, but if you really are interested in supporting gay developers or just people that are actually trying to do better for the medium, you have to be like updated. I know I'm not one to speak coming with some of this information, but you really have to know like who's doing what and why they're doing it, especially when it comes to like indie developers, because some of them are really putting out great stuff, but it just goes under the radar because it's not AAA, which is fucked up. But that's all I have to say.